The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I'm your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the concept of divine creation and its counterfeit. Now, uh, this might be a bit of a shock to some people, but we are definitely living in the age of deception, right? And by when I say it might be a shock, I, I mean, you know, that in the most sarcastic way possible. It's obviously not a shock to anybody that we're living in the age of deception. But just how deep does this deceit really run, right? How much of a deception is it really? How far back can we trace this deception? And what exactly is it that we're deluded about? Well, I would say we're deluded about the very nature of what mankind is intended to be first of all, in the very nature of reality itself. So uh, we're going to explore this idea tonight. We're going to look at what is the divine creation? What did God, the creator of this universe, create? And what did he intend it to be? And what has it become? And who exactly is the modern man in this picture of creation and its counterfeit, right? And, and that's the important concept here we're going to look at. And we're going to explore uh, the works of Michael Hoffman, uh, a gentleman I admire very much and respect very much. Uh, I stand upon the shoulders of giants. It's truly a pleasure to be able to uh, look into the works of some of these gentlemen who uh, were way ahead of their time and have really presented some of these ideas in a much more articulate way than I'm capable of. So we're going to be reading tonight from his book titled Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. And I will give my commentary interspersed throughout, as usual. And we'll go from there, and we'll see. And I hope you walk away tonight with a much clearer view of the world we live in and what's going on in this age of deception that we're living in and in this age in which we live. And who the power structure in charge in this place truly is. So let's read into it here. A description of Anthony Schaefer's protagonist in the film, The Wicker Man, quote, tearing around in dizzying circles trying to solve it, never able to guess the true plot behind it, although the evidence of it lies all around him, end quote, and that was from Cinefantastique. Quote, almost all people of all eras are hypnotics. Their beliefs are induced beliefs. The proper authorities saw to it that the proper belief should be induced and people believed properly, end quote. That was Charles Hoy Fort. If you're not familiar with Charles Fort, uh, this is the gentleman that uh, the concept of Fortian research is named after. And uh, it's a very, very interesting topic, folks. It's all of the uh, seemingly unrelated, just weird phenomena that happen in this world. He cataloged them in a book he called The Book of the Damned, uh, which is a fascinating read, and he also uh, wrote some other things. But uh, there's a whole area of research into uh, these different strange occurrences that's named after him, and he was a very intelligent man and had some great insights into society. But let's continue on. 
As the mountebank delivered his harangue, the clown would repeatedly poke his head out from behind the curtain, making fun of everything his master said, parodying his patter and twisting the meaning of his words. The mountebank played the perfect straight man, meanwhile. Here he was, trying so hard to hawk his wares, and his own assistant was doing everything possible to undermine sales. The merriment was, of course, intentional, while the clown seemingly encouraged the public not to buy the proffered merchandise, the Montebank knew full well that the bystanders would easily be converted into customers as soon as they forgot that they were, in fact, supposed to be buying. Once the audience had been effectively hypnotized, once its judgment and willpower had been weakened, the real sales pitch could begin. And that's from J.H. Townsend and his work called Clowns. Hoodwink, a symbol of the secrecy, silence, and darkness in which the mysteries of our art should be preserved from the unhallowed gaze of the profane. Dr. Albert Mackey, 33rd degree Freemason in his Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. In a study of mind control and psychological warfare, it is not enough to simply review the latest technology of coercion. The most recent gadgetry and techno-junk littering the hardware and supply depots of government and cults. Far more dangerous than these appliances is the praxis behind them, the underground current which informs the modern project and this modern era. For life in our modern era is little more than life in an open-air mind-control laboratory where a form of human alchemy has emerged to transform the mass of targeted percipients, targeted merely by virtue of their being urban dwellers plugged into the electronic and digital pageantry of the establishment's system of things. I'm going to pause for a moment right there, folks, and I will add also their internet of things to that statement uh, which was not in existence as of yet uh, when this was written but clearly delineated here is the outline for more things to come you see the uh, processes involved and the methodologies involved here in controlling the minds of the masses have always been the same it's just the technologies and some of the uh, delivery systems they have now Maybe a bit more sophisticated, but the principles in and of themselves still hold true, and that's what's being pointed out here. So, the fact that uh, we've been pushed through the Industrial Revolution into urban settings uh, is a lineup for things to come. Now, through the advent of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, we're going to be herded into the system that is the Internet, and uh, it's kind of hard to avoid, isn't it? in the modern world. Uh, so you could see the direction these things are steering, and it's always towards more and more control. And not only that, a more and more artificially induced system throughout the entire process. Let's read on, though. And what sort of creature inhabits the modern domain? Who is the modern man? The puppet masters say he is the smartest, most advanced individual to ever strut the planet, the most relatively liberated being in history. But Louis Ferdinand Celine said it well. What does the modern public want? It wants to go down on its knees before money and before crap. 
<laughs> I'm going to pause there. Uh, that is probably a profound statement if you really break it down. It's true, isn't it? Before crap, <laughs> mankind is caught up with crap. They, we really, truly are. The public have been trained to do this by two principal methods. Direct speaking archetypal messages of pure terror, which was called psychic driving by the CIA's Dr. Ewan Cameron. It encoded the this uh, two principal methods, the direct speaking of archetypal messages, being one is encoded in massively publicized lone nut mass murders and sinister flattery heaped upon them by their masters in the cult of civilization and progress. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So you see, uh, a lot of these archetypal messages, and uh, Mr. Hoffman pointed out the importance of archetypes here very early on. This was the late 1990s. This book was originally released. And uh, this was prior to 9-11 and various other events that have become mainstays for public mind control concepts. So, with that being the case, he says here, massively publicized lone nut mass murders. Well, I would say, you know, we've gone beyond that. The level of programming has escalated beyond that. But that's still a very important part of the programming, isn't it? It's going on even more so today, right? <coughs> Excuse me. But he says the second part of this is how uh, they, the masters, the puppet masters of this uh, place, the people in control of this world, the dark occultists that run things, they heap flattery and praise upon the, the masses here and the civilization. They make people believe that it's oh so virtuous to follow orders. You're oh so smart. You're clever. We can't possibly outsmart you, right? Uh, you're, you're much too sophisticated. You're not like those backwards peoples of old. Uh, you're sophisticated. We have all this technology. We're oh so smart. We're oh so clever. We're oh so civilized, aren't we? But yet they always divide us on every line possible and keep us in fighting over things of no true importance. But let's continue on in the reading here. The acid test of a human being's freedom and will to protect the quality of his life lies in a person's attitude towards his oppressor. What is modern man's attitude towards Wall Street and the bankers, toward Dan Rather and the ignorance-bestowing media and advertising man, toward Lincoln and Truman, FDR and Reagan, George Bush and Johnny Carson, Exxon and Monsanto, and I'll add Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Obama, all of these different people, right? What what are the what are the public opinions of this, right? Let's read on though. As one writer has observed, the most amazing thing about the American people is that they are constantly defending their worst betrayers. Who then is the modern man? He is a mind-bombed patsy who gets his marching orders from twilight language keywords sprinkled throughout his news and current events. And I will add his entertainment. Even as he dances to the tune of the elite managers of human behavior, he scoffs with great derision at the idea of the existence and operation of a technology of mass mind control emanating from the media and government. Modern man is much too smart to believe anything as superstitious as that. Modern man is the ideal hypnotic subject, puffed up on the idea that he is the crown of creation. 
He vehemently denies the power of the hypnotist's control over him, even as his head bobs up and down on a string. What we observe in the population today are the three destructive symptoms of persons whose minds are controlled by alien forces. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. And this doesn't necessarily mean space aliens, right? (laughs) Don't read that into it. Although, hey, maybe that could be part of it. What do I know, right? But pay attention to these three concepts here that are being uh, listed here today. The three destructive symptoms of persons whose minds are controlled by these alien forces, or I would say by these dark occultists who run things in this world. Number one, amnesia otherwise known as the loss of memory. Number two, abulia, the loss of will. Number three, apathy, the loss of interest in events vital to one's own health and survival. So, amnesia, abulia, and apathy are nearly universal among us today and gaining a greater foothold with each passing day. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. I do not disagree with that at all. That is 100% spot on. We all suffer uh, from these symptoms to some degree or another. We've forgotten who we are. What are our divine rights? What's what's our our rights as a human being? What, What are we doing here? What's our true history? All these things have been hidden from us, right? So we have amnesia, this loss of memory. We have abulia, the loss of will. We let other people make decisions for us and take our responsibility and our sovereignty from us. And we, we pay them hefty sums of money to do that. We call them our Congress, right? Uh, we hire these people to represent us, our interests. We let them think for us. And, and this goes way beyond just uh, government structures and stuff, too. By and large, the vast majority of humanity has lost its true willpower, it's, it does not want to own up to being a responsible adult human being in this world. They don't want to take responsibility for their actions. They don't want to uh, have personal sovereignty. They don't want to have to steer their own destiny. They would rather put that stuff in the hands of somebody else that they think is more qualified or intelligent than them to make these decisions for them. So that's the loss of will. And then, lastly, apathy the loss of interest. This is probably the biggest thing, especially here in American culture, that uh, is the biggest plague upon uh, us as a people, right? Apathy. We have no interest. Oh, that's not my concern. Oh, I don't follow politics, right? I don't don't care about any of that stuff. Well, there there you go. That's apathy for you. Uh, If you don't care about it and don't do anything with it, somebody else will do it for you, right? They'll make that decision for you. I'm not interested in that. I have no say in that. I don't have a dog in that fight. How many times have you heard that kind of thing? (coughs) It's indifference. Apathy, indifference. This is the plague of the American people. Not just the American people. People at large in the world today. But mostly Western culture and primarily the American culture here. Or lack thereof. We really don't have much of a culture left, do we? Uh, we just follow whatever is the trending thing, right? What's the the latest thing? What's the latest hashtag? Uh, what's the latest thing on Twitter? What's going on? Uh, what's the latest thing that we're going to follow? 
we're going to put a little uh, circle around our, our, our profile picture on Facebook, to, you know, saying we support the current thing, right? This is what culture has become. And this is all due to apathy and indifference. But let's continue on with the reading here today. Japanese philosopher George Asawa stated that there was only one incurable sickness, arrogance. If a patient does not regard himself as sick, he cannot submit to a cure. The arrogant man does not need to see. He already sees almost everything. And what he thinks he has yet to learn, he believes, quote-unquote, the experts will one day show him. Who are these experts? They are not really doctors of the soul. They do not have the man's interest at heart. They are, in fact, his worst enemies, his most cunning manipulators, who lead him to do their bidding like any slave master since Egypt. So, let's get into the next section here. <coughs> the first principle of mind control. What is it? Flattery. Let's read this. Why, then, does he revere them? Because they flatter him. This is the first secret of mass mind control and can be observed as the foundation stone of virtually every false religion, party, cult, philosophy, system, and training. How can modern man free himself when he is told that he is already a demigod, that the problem lies only in finding a pure enough economic or political system worthy of his high-minded brilliance? If we look closely... We will see that this mind control principle is so basic and simple, it is almost stupidly so, to the point that we marvel that anyone would be seduced by it. But it is all a matter of attention, as we saw in the parable of the mountebank and the clown. Arrogant hypnopatsies have been told by their masters that they are demigods, and demigods are never deceived or distracted. They're too smart. And by their arrogant self-satisfaction, they blind themselves to the simplicity of the device that ensnares them. And that is when the real sales pitch begins. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. What do you think academia is? Hmm? School, college, university. The more educated, quote-unquote educated, a person is, the more indoctrinated they are. The more they fall into this, the more arrogant they become. They become the hypnopatsy, as Michael Hoffman describes it here. And they can't even believe they're being manipulated because they think they're too smart or they've been taught too much. That's their area of expertise. They know too much. They can't be fooled, right? They would know. They would know if they were being manipulated, right? All these clever, smart people... All these highly educated people. Well, as we see here, this is part of the mind control process, flattery. They're led to believe that they're oh so smart. And they're oh so special. And that, uh, you know, they, they're beyond this type of manipulation, right? They're just too clever for that. That they are, in fact, the people that make decisions and do things. This is what we see in academia, right? How many people in these academic circles, all these professors and stuff, they have all kinds of influence and sway. They get all kinds of research grants and stuff from government agencies, and they think they're, they're big shots. Well, it's all deception. They're useful idiots, and they don't even realize it. They've been manipulated, and they're selling a, selling a, a bill of goods to the masses, and they don't see it. Because they're so heavily indoctrinated. And that's part of the problem. And this is part of the mind control. Flattery. You convince somebody that they're smart. Right? 
this education that you got, this makes you superior. That's why you make this six-digit salary and you have, uh, you know, tenure at the university. All of these different types of ideas. And I, I'm just saying, uh, you know, as far as the education system, uh, the professors and stuff like that. I, I'm just pointing that out as an example. Now, this goes deeper than that and further than that with other uh, types of occupations and stuff as well. But uh, this is where they primarily pass on the teaching from generation to generation is through the university system. So then you get this group of arrogant academics that uh, teach the further generations and they instill this type of arrogance in them. And this is what's gone on, right? So we could see this happening. We see how the system works. And it's all a mind control system, isn't it? And this is the first step. Through flattery, arrogance. You make people believe that they're much too smart to be manipulated, right? That their opinion is their own. Well, they didn't adopt the opinions of anybody else. These are my own ideas, right? So... With that being said, that's part of the process here, isn't it? <coughs> Excuse me. But let's continue on here. What the alchemical managers have bred over a millennia is a human race of the most wretched stupidity and ignorance unrivaled in thousands of years. These blind slaves are told they are free and highly educated, even as they march behind signs that would cause any medieval peasant to run screaming away from the from them in panic-stricken terror. The symbols that modern man embraces with the naive trust of an infant would be tantamount to billboards reading this way to your death and enslavement to the understanding of a traditional peasant of antiquity. I doubt any medieval man would have much difficulty in feeling a sense of overwhelming foreboding in the face of the Soviet hammer and sickle symbol. Yet most modern illiterate, or sorry, most modern literate people obviously don't know a thing about what the symbol actually represents, except on the most profane level as the implements of the farmer and the worker. So, gonna pause for a second there. <coughs> We're not going to harangue on the Soviet Union or anything like that. Uh, this was, you know, a demonstration of how these communist ideals align with this type of mind control programming. But let's continue here with the reading, and we'll see where we go from there. So what, what's exactly happening here? We've identified the modern man, right? We've identified the first principle of mind control. And that's the principle of flattery. You convince the man that he's uh, extremely intelligent and articulate and uh, that he's, he's just the bee's knees, right? So if he believes this and you can flatter him, you could convince him that he's much too smart to be manipulated by you and that all the suggestions you give him are his own ideas, right? Uh, so that's what's largely been done through society. And uh, that's one of the key tenets here to take away tonight. <coughs> but let's continue on because we're, we're just getting to the good stuff now. The sickle symbolizes Saturn, also known as Kronos, Saturn, or as the Greeks called it, Demiurgus, the op operating engineer of the universe, as opposed to the creator of that universe. And I'm going to pause for a moment there. This is an extremely important distinction, folks. Okay. Demiurgus, Saturn, Kronos, whatever you want to call this power, and it's equated in the Bible to Satan or Lucifer. 
and could be, you know, correlated out through various mythologies or various different systems as different names, but all representing the same thing. Uh, the Freemasons would call this the great architect of the universe. This is different. This is not the creator. This is not truly God. This is a different being altogether. And that's the distinction being made here. So let's continue reading here. This is the operating engineer of the universe as opposed to the creator of the universe. So keep that in mind. Now let's continue reading on here. In the reign of Saturn, we see exorbitant building and modeling activities, and this is reflected in the Masonic reference to their god as the big builder or architect. This seems reasonably attractive. Many of us can appreciate magnificent buildings and splendid projects along those lines, but as usual, there is more to it than this. This Saturnian Masonic edifice complex ultimately is building against the grain, against nature, Though, at the beginning, in the early eras, nature's forces are manipulated with a knowledge which requires the greatest intimacy with her ways, as reflected in the various megalithic structures in the British Isles, Europe, and ancient America, there is beauty, simplicity, and power in this early technology, and modern enthusiasts have mistaken the knowledge and sensitivity to natural forces intrinsic to this technology as indicative of a positive force at work. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. <coughs> this is a hugely important point, okay? So we see that uh, this Saturnian Masonic edifice complex, as Michael Hoffman calls it here, uh, this would be the modern system. This would be the, the, the Brotherhood, right? This would be the various secret societies in conjunction with one another. The ones that call themselves the Philosophers of Fire, uh, the Builders, uh, the Order of the Quest. All of these different names they give themselves, the Invisible College, they present themselves as the Builders of civilization and of humanity. But see, the important thing here is they're building against the grain of nature. They are not using nature's forces in conjunction with nature. They're building against nature. This is the inversion principle at work here, folks. This is the artificiality concept coming into play. It's the opposite of nature. It's the destructive force, right? When you look at uh, the way nature operates as compared to how most of our machinery that we build today works. It's the opposite. In order to uh, work with nature, you would need to build something that actually utilizes and amplifies natural forces and works within the natural system. Something like what Victor Schauberger developed in his uh, repulsing engine. Uh, this used uh, water vertices, the water vortex. He studied water and how the vortex system of water works. These are natural forces, and something like this could be used to work with nature, whereas the things we build are destructive and work against nature. Look at the combustion engine, okay? This is an explosion, right? An explosive force as opposed to an implosive force. Nature works upon the principle of implosion. The in floating force, right? And this is represented by the force vector of the conjugate ge geometry of how the electromagnetic spectrum works. And in correlation, everything else for that matter. Uh, look at the golden ratio, right? This is a representation of that. This is the uh, 
the representation of the opposing, not really necessarily opposing, but the conjugate geometries of nature, the torus and the hourglass shape, which is the inversion of the torus. So everything manifests in this type of a cyclical way. Uh, so when you think of flowing water in this sense, it would flow around the torus and back towards the center and then back out again. This is how the cyclical nature of things works. And this could be, this is a good allegory that could be applied to any concept in nature. This is how it works, right? Or at least that's how my concept of uh, how it works is. This is the, the picture I get in my head of how this all functions. It all functions on the same basic principles that can be outlined in this way. So with that being the case, to work with nature would be using more of an implosion technology, this vortex type technology that Schauberger worked on with the water system, as opposed to explosion, exploding technology, uh, combustion engines, things like that. But this is what the builders have invented and come up with, the artificial, going against the grain of nature. <coughs> so... I don't want to harp too long on that, but they came up with this idea, the, these technologies, and they, they think of them as a positive force at work, when in fact it's a negative force at work. It's the total opposite or inversion of how the natural order works. But this is what they push, and this is who they are. But let's continue reading here. Actually, with some crucial exceptions, the rise of the megaliths marked the rise of the Hermetic Academy into its dominant physical phase. The territory that is that the megaliths pin down natural forces. Sorry, the, the theory, not territory. The, I'm going to read that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, excuse me for one second. I, I'm going to read that again. The theory is that the megaliths pin down natural forces, helping to subdue nature's most savage furies. We marvel today at the Hoover Dam, but that symbol-laden construction is but a crude parody of the technology of the megaliths, which helped to dam the wildest forces of nature. The construction of the megaliths, heralded by new age types as marvels of ancient ingenuity and cooperation with nature, are actually the first physical evidence of the end of Eden, of that period on earth when humanity lived as the servants and friends of God's natural creation, as nomads and hunter-gatherers. The error of modern enthusiasts for what they regard as the magical, Merlin-esque, harmonious time of the Druids in Stonehenge is ignorance of the fact that the historical period they idolize was itself immersed in a tampering technology and materialism which essentially marked a revolutionary break with the natural order. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. So what this is saying is that... Uh, that time that we look back at and we regard some of these ancient megalithic structures and some of the things we think that they do uh, and think of in a positive way, these times were actually themselves immersed with advanced tampering technologies, right? So much of our history has been hidden from us. And that uh, because of the advanced tampering technologies that they had, similarly to the age we're living in now, uh, many things came about, but we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, let's continue with the reading, though. According to John Mitchell, 
The first revolution of Olympus marks the first deviation from the primeval ways of men, presided over by Cronus, otherwise Saturn. This revolution marks the end of man's Edenic relationship with the natural world. Henceforward, man is alienated from nature by means of the Saturnian scythe, which symbolizes the sense of separation from God's natural creation that man experienced after the fall. Man began his peregrination away from Eden through his own conceit that he would become as God. Yet as soon as he left the divine plan for the occult process, his stated objective became the Kabbalistic tikkun olam, or, quote, repair of the world, end quote, via the intervention and imposition of human brain power, the very egomaniacal device that caused the separation from God's natural Eden in the first place. And I'm going to pause there, and I will add, this was also the very thing that caused Lucifer... Had the second-hand man of God to fall from grace. Let's read on. Repair of the world indeed. A world the Kabbalists had only just ruined. <laughs> After the Saturnian division, hermetic man saw himself as separate and inevitably above nature, though always quick to identify himself as nature's benign shepherd. This mighty occult shepherd king figure has emerged in history under the forms of Arthur, Merlin, Pendragon, and Prester John. He is the personification of the manipulation of nature by secret technology on behalf of a secret hierarchy which, if known at all, is always careful to present itself as the supreme friend of divine creation. If the expulsion from the Garden of Eden, that is to say the literal alteration of man's circumstance of living solely upon God's bounty and providence, was the result of satanic intervention, why has it not dawned on us that civilization is itself satanic? Gonna pause right there, folks. <coughs> Consider that, okay? Now, if you could take uh, the idea of Satan, and we'll look at it from the allegory of Prometheus, right? Uh, the, the myth of Prometheus. Prometheus gave man divine fire, gave man technology, the power of the intellect, freed him from his bonds of ignorance and slavery in the garden, and set him free with human intellect. This is the story told by the secret society groups. They revere this as the savior of sorts, right? The Promethean myth. Man was given primordial knowing, this power of intellect to overcome nature. Well, this is not what the original plan was of our creator. Our creator, God, wanted us to work within the bounds of nature and work with nature and have harmony with nature. <coughs> this was opposition to nature, and this was due to, well, first and foremost, the principle of free will, which is a necessity uh, for us in order to be able to have the choice to either work within the bounds of nature or work against nature. And it's due to our working against nature the natural order of things, that we suffer, right? We were given the choice. Hey, these are the rules. This is what you do. This is how you act. 
These are the moral absolutes of how things work in this reality. And you have a choice. You can choose to do the right things and act in a certain way and have abundance and have life and life more abundantly. Or you could work against the grain, so to say, and you can reap the rewards or consequences thereof. And this is what has happened here. So in his hubris, mankind, as well as uh, this guiding spirit that uh, would be the Promethean myth or Lucifer or Satan or however you want to view this, the, the, uh, the accuser, the opposition, led by this kind of hubristic spirit, man thinks he could do better. He can make God's creation better, right? And this is what the Kabbalistic traditions and stuff came into being based upon. The idea that man can perfect nature, that there's somehow a flaw in this design that our creator made here, and that man can improve it. Man can do better. Thus, man seeks to build an artificial duplicate, a counterfeit of the divine order, a counterfeit of divine creation that he thinks will be better and he could be the god of that place right well no part can ever be greater than the whole and no creation can ever be greater than its creator although the hubris and arrogance of mind-controlled man would have him believe he can do better and work towards doing better. And that, my friends, is what the quote-unquote builders do. The philosophers of fire. Those of the line of Cain, the lineage of Cain. See? The ones that choose to go down these paths, these paths of initiation and through all these secretive rituals and uh, t claim to use these this secret knowledge and these secret technologies to improve mankind and make new inroads for mankind and lead to mankind's evolution, his ultimate evolution into a god, right? This is what they build towards, and this is what they believe they're doing. And it's deception, folks. It's the great lie from the Garden of Eden. You can be as gods. It's not true. It is simply not true. No matter how much they want to try to make it true, a creation can never be greater than its creator. A part can never be greater than the whole. End of story. Right there. Uh, these are provable things, and this is all uh, based upon the old alchemical knowledge. The problem is they became so hubristic and so conceited and so arrogant in their intelligence, these dark occultists who run things and this power structure that's come forward through the years, by using secrecy, trying to keep knowledge of certain things from the masses at large, using it to leverage things, to achieve their own personal agendas and goals. They've done this so successfully through the years that now they think that they can actually achieve godhood and this type of artificial transcendence through the use of high technologies. Once again, one of the forerunners here of the idea of intellect, also part of the false promise, 
right? And they think that through the transhumanist notion, they can live forever and become gods of this place. They could build this vast digital reality in which they could control everything. This is what they work towards. This is what they now call the great work, which that's a perversion of older ideas as well. But I don't want to get too hung up on those side notes here. Let's continue on. In the Hermetic Masonic tradition, the secret identity of Satan is the Force, represented in occult lore as emanating from the star Sirius, the so-called Dog Star, Canis Major. In the secret tradition of the Freemasons, Sirius is overwhelmingly identified with a single primary attribute, the bringing of civilization to Earth. And I'm going to pause for a moment right there, folks. Did you ever wonder what the whole ufology movement's about? Why it always brings up Sirius? Just look at uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer's documentary. The name of the documentary is Sirius, right? And uh, they want you to believe that uh, this alien civilization from the star system Sirius is what built human civilization here on Earth. They came here and tinkered with our genetics, with the DNA of apes, and combined them with, uh, you know, whatever else, and they made man as a slave race, right? Uh, to mine gold, <laughs> or some similar thing. And various uh, different types of notions of this are, you know, go across the board. Uh, they may go with the whole Planet X idea or whatever that goes along with it, but it always esoterically points back to the star Sirius, right? This is what that's encoding. It's all occult. It's all esoteric, all of it. And, and that's where people get lost sometimes in some of these side trails. And no matter what, I always try to tell people, no matter what of these conspiracy-type topics you research, you always invariably find two places, right, that they lead to, ultimately. If you go all the way back as far as you can in history, you always find the occult and the ancient mystery schools and their teachings. And that's always where it starts and always where it ends is with transhumanism or posthumanism, the evolution of man to the next phase in evolution to become God, right? <coughs> it always ends invariably in these two spots. No matter which direction you go with it, you'll either go back, find occultism in the ancient mystery schools, or go forward and find transhumanism. They're your two endpoints, and we're somewhere in the middle here. And actually, we're, we're getting up towards the end of that uh, timeline, if these people get their way, these dark occultists that run things. Uh, so keep that in mind. So whenever you see uh, talk about Sirius or extraterrestrials who came here from Sirius and uh, colonized the planet or genetically engineered the apes into mankind or whatever nonsensical story they want to tell you, it's allegory, folks. It's all occult, esoteric. It's all encoded, right? Read between the lines. Learn their language. So let's read on here. The heirs of this magical current were saluted by the Illuminist and Master Alchemist Comenius in his 1668 book, The Way of Light, dedicated to the first scientific organization in Western history. Going to pause for a moment. What do you think this first organization scientific organization in Western history was, I'm about to tell you. Britain's August Royal Society. 
In it, Cominius addressed the first formal scientists as Illuminati and outlined their scientific purpose, which is to secure the empire of the human mind over matter. In a key Rosicrucian description of the city of Utopia, it is shown to be dominated by science and mechanics, and more ominously, by the medical dissection of cadavers. In other words, by the hyper-analytical obsession of rationalism with dead matter and measurement. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. This is a fundamental thing to understand here as well. These dark occultists who run things and the greater power structure underneath them are obsessed with dead entities. Our whole system runs upon a system of death, right down to the straw man identity, everything. All of this stuff, it's all based upon death ideas. Corporation, corpse-oration, you see, it's, it's all based upon ideas of death. That's what it's all built upon. The opposite, the antithesis of life, the inversion of the life principle, which our creator created and gave us all life and life more abundantly, no, this is a system of death and more abundant death. That's what they're trying to build. That's what the builders build, folks. That's what the philosophers of fire do. Fire destroys, right? You can't build anything with fire. Well, I guess, I mean, if you want to get technical, you could weld stuff or whatever. I, I guess it could be used as a constructive force as well. Uh, you know, in arguing that point, but primarily it's a destructive force, isn't it? Uh, so the builders that represent themselves and call themselves the philosophers of fire represent this destructive nature of things, this destructive power, this principle of death. That's what they represent. But uh, anyway, for anybody out there who told you the quote-unquote Illuminati does not exist, well, they're wrong, folks. There certainly is an organization that think of themselves as the Illuminati. They always go by other names, but this organization has always existed through all of humankind uh, as far back as we could look, derived from the ancient mystery schools, still exists today, and there are Illuminatus today. There are people that consider themselves the Illuminati today, and, you know, we may not know the names of these people and probably never will, but, uh, Make no mistake about it, this is a subgroup of various other secret society groups that does exist. This is the topmost echelons of the power structure. This is what we would refer to as the dark occultists who run things, right? They would consider themselves Illuminatus or Illuminati. These people in positions of power that really call the shots, these dark occultists that manipulate manipulate things, manipulate energies, manipulate peoples into doing things, always from behind the veil, behind the curtain, behind the scenes, so you don't know who they are or what their names are. And a lot of people could throw out some names, and there are some names that pop up that may or may not be some of these dark occultists who run things, but it's likely we've never heard of any of these people that are really at the topmost levels. And I would even argue that uh, some of these quote-unquote people at the topmost levels may not even be people at all. They may be some type of other entity or force or, you know, some type of entity controlling things. Um, 
you know, the nature of which I really can't uh, pin down exactly who or what these uh, beings would be. But uh, it seems likely that they have influence on the human mind. And it seems likely that uh, we can see manifestations of this in the greater reality around us. So that being the case, this would be uh, concurrent with many descriptions were given through various religions and philosophies and mythologies from time immemorial, right? The idea of angels and demons and stuff like that. <coughs> we see evidences that such things exist and can manifest. So... With that being the case, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't know. I don't have the answers who exactly these people are at the topmost levels. What I do know is they follow these precepts, right? They follow these dark occult arts. They use these esoteric cues. They utilize things like twilight language. They utilize all of these principles, and they use the inversion process all the time. So, you know, regardless of who their identities may be on the earthly plane here, we know that it's not us, right, that are actually calling the shots. But we could be. And that's the big secret they don't want us to know. We have more power than we realize. We have more influence than we realize. And all it takes is for us to say no to their systems that they enslave us with all it takes is that let's opt out of their system that's all there is to it we could say no and it'll shut them down tomorrow and their whole house of cards will collapse the problem is there's a lot of us and the bigger problem is there's a lot of us that will just blindly follow along or go to along to get along and in order to stay comfortable see and they have us in this position in modern society where we're comfortable and we don't want to be uncomfortable, do we? We don't want to be inconvenienced in any way. Well, we've gotten too comfortable and complacent. And that's what's wrong. See, they utilize things like the whole bread and circuses idea to keep us pacified. If you have enough to eat and you're entertained and your mind is distracted by things of no real importance, well, then you'll be content with your slavery, won't you? If you have, if you're too busy just trying to eke out a living just so you have enough money to pay the bills, keep the lights on, keep some food on the table, and a little bit of entertainment just to keep yourself pacified, that's what you'll do. Be back there working on the farm with the other animals, right? That's how they view you. That's how they view us. They call us the profane. That's why they think we're nothing more than an animal, that we don't even have a soul in many instances. And that's what they believe, folks. I'm, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. This is not me saying this. This has taken years and years of deep research and reading many of their writings in their own words to come to these kind of conclusions about things and to understand where it is they're coming from. And I'm just trying to convey that message to you, and I encourage you, don't believe a word I'm saying. Go out and read their stuff for yourself, right? Go research on your own. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at the things you find. You really will. And now we're living in an age of extreme censorship too, so it's getting harder and harder to find these things. But I would suggest find the oldest books you can. Read them. The oldest books on things like Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, Alchemy, 
many of these different things from these different uh, you know secret society groups, anything you can get a hold of. Uh, even read the stuff from like the OTO and stuff like that to see what they're about. There are some twisted individuals in there, right? So <coughs> it's important to understand their ideologies, to know why they do the things they do. Uh, but uh, let's continue on here. I don't want to get too hung up on the sidetrack here because I do want to finish this up within about the next half hour or so. <coughs> Excuse me. The Utopian City of the Rosicrucians is before us today. New York and Los Angeles, Babylon the Great. And it was planned in 1668 and long before. We have forgotten the depth of the roots of the modern disease. We have accepted the pop-pap that anything that predated the more obvious rapacity of modern industrial pollution was natural or magical the notion of magic being identified with the pristine. Have we, hence, denied ourselves knowledge of the beginning of the rise of the cryptocracy? John Mitchell states, It is their immediate concern, having eaten of the tree of knowledge, to apply all their newly acquired arts to constructing a facsimile of the garden, a model paradise. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. So, what's the divine nature of creation? And what's its counterfeit? Well, divine creation was the Garden of Eden, right? Nature, the natural order of things. What's the counterfeit? Man's attempts at building a better system, civilization itself, cities, big buildings, edifices, material things commerce commerce right let's continue reading and we'll we'll you know wrap some of these ideas all together a little bit more but there already was an architecture prior to man's imposition of his structures and interventions this was the architecture of the natural landscape as shaped by god to claim that to have left it as it, would ha as it was, would have been barbarous and backward, is symptomatic of the diseased occult mind and its gigantic egotistical pathology. As long as it was left as God created it, it was paradise. Due to our blindness, we feverishly cooperate with the imposition upon the earth of our own version of Eden, which always ends in the creation of Babylon, of hell on earth. Historian John Mitchell says, Settlement leads to the establishment of social hierarchies, to specialization, the development of arts and sciences, the building of temples and houses. For millions of years, men, essentially the same as we are now, lived without these and presumably without feeling the need for them. Tacitus described a German tribe that lived entirely without artificial shelter. The phenomenon of successive towns built around the same sacred place the spirit of which became the foundation deity, receiving the sacrifices offered in expiation of the crime of settlement and giving the law by which the city was governed, 
Implicit in this law was a contract between man and God by which the first was permitted a conditional and limited use of land for agriculture and building in return for duties and observances paid to the second. So it was understood by the founding fathers of these ancient cities. I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Keep this in mind, okay? This is a, a, a very important concept. Now, when man first began building some of these edifices and small towns and communities, villages, if you were, uh, farms, things like this, uh, places of worship, it was limited and conditional. He would give back to the land. He would give back to God. He would honor the land. He would tend to the garden, so to say, right? This is what we're talking about here. He would work with nature as opposed to against it. It's only when things began to get bigger and expanded more and uh, man got more, uh, how should we say, industrious or, or, you know, had more ambition to build bigger and better things and outdo his neighbors and outdo the neighboring town that things began to get out of hand. And this contract between man and God of, of sorts was broken, where man would give back to the land, right? He would tend the land and give back a portion to the land, much like uh, the Native American peoples did, right? They lived off the land, but they always made sure to give back. If you cut down a tree, you plant a new tree, this kind of thing, right? Uh, it's it's always about maintaining this balance, working with the natural order of things, building things in a naturalistic way, in a way that uh, emphasizes the natural energies of a place rather than opposes them. So this is what it was all about. And many of these original cities or um, dwellings, villages, if you will, early mankind, the early civilizations, when man started to try to make things easier for himself through agriculture and things like that in a limited fashion, this was when mankind began to thrive because he was working within the bounds of the natural system. He was content. This was Edenic in a sense, right? Let's read on here. But as cities expand these limitations, become more onerous and neglected, with the result that, in the language of Apocalypse, the city becomes Babylon, the parasitic whore, and proceeds toward destruction. In this belief, the traditional element in ancient Rome objected to expansion beyond the original city boundaries, considering it a breach of the foundation contract. And a pause there, folks. So these old cities were consecrated back in the day, back in earlier civilizations. They would consecrate the city. It was usually built around some holy site, a natural place of beauty and wonder where uh, they would worship God and where they would honor God. And uh, they built these cities with the understanding that uh, they would give back to the land the things they took and that they had limited uses of the land and stuff as such for farm and for building and things like that. And they would maintain this balance. And this was a contractual type of an obligation within the foundation of the city. Well, these things 
got thrown to the wayside as man became more ambitious and expanded. And then you had, uh, you know, people rise to prominence in positions of power. And uh, they decided that they would use and wield this power. And uh, they would try to garnish more from the land than what they should have. And it became an abuse, right? So civilization, the cities, the founding of cities, it became an abuse of the earth, of nature. And then it stood in opposition to nature. So let's keep that in mind, all right? It was a breach of the foundation contract, as it says here. And this culminated with Rome. Because all roads always lead to Rome, don't they? In the modern era. So let's take a look here. We'll continue reading. Such councils were, of course, ignored. And in consequence, Rome, following the career of all previous empires, became Babylon. Indeed, civilization tends to grow more elaborate and to make ever greater demands on the earth that sustains it. There comes a time when the old natural devotion to the earth is exchanged for the desire to increase the products of the earth by artificially stimulating its fertility. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. This is what the true abuse of the earth has been. It's always about more, 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 right? Man wants to build more. We're going to try to strip the earth of all of its resources for our use. We're going to take more than we should be without giving back, right? It becomes an abuse. It becomes an abomination. Let's continue reading here. The stage is marked in history by the appearance of sun gods, divinities of reason, intellect, and centralized government, whose legends refer always to their victories over dragons. And dragons symbolize nature, right? <coughs> Excuse me. This policy of artificially increasing the earth's fertility and multiplying the gifts of its spirit instead of accepting what is given by nature is evident in the staking of the earth in symbolism, as is seen in the motif of the knight spearing the dragon, which is sometimes viewed as the pinnacle of victory of light over dark. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. So this... The, the symbol of the knight slaying the dragon, spearing the dragon, is the symbol of man conquering nature, right? Man becoming something greater. The advancement of man to the seat of godhood. He has conquered nature, the natural order. He has uh, been able to manipulate nature and make it into something more productive, you see? The pinnacle of victory of light over darkness. Do you see how they invert some of these symbols, right? You would think if, if this, you know, the idea of the light overcoming the darkness would be the good overcoming the bad, uh, or, you know, the god of nature overcoming the enemy of nature. It's the total inversion. So see, the victory of light over darkness is the victory of man over nature, Nature, the natural creation, this thing created by God, right? This perfect system created by God. Man slaying that system and building something artificial that he thinks is better. This is what they mean by the light 
overcoming the darkness, they see the God of creation as the darkness. And that they, the builders, right, are the light, the philosophers of fire. Through their intellect and reason, they will conquer this creation and they will be able to found a new creation out of it. Something artificial, something perfect, more perfect than what God has built. See, and this is where it all comes down to the idea of the divine creation and the counterfeit, right? So man will build the counterfeit. And uh, it's never, ever going to be as great as the original. Never. But uh, that's not the way they see it. They, in their hubris, think that they can be God, right? That they are God. They could do better. They could build something better. But let's read on here. But we should also be aware that there is an alternate occult reading of this image. The Arthurian symbol has been celebrated by pagans and Freemasons as a sign of man's usurpation of natural creation. The staking process is seen by them as a means to pin down the heretofore flowing character of the energy of creation so as to be harnessed and bled by Stonehenge-like technology in order to give greater and greater resources to man. And I'm going to pause for a moment there folks what do you think structures like the pyramids are or these obelisks see they're built in the the shapes and the the ways that they are in the dimensions they are for a reason because these different shapes and features manipulate natural energies in a sense or they channel natural energies and uh, this is what the freemasons knew this is what a lot of secret societies knew uh, what a lot of ancient cultures knew there's natural energies that flow in this world and that you can actually channel them in certain ways uh, by using different shapes, different structures, different concepts. Uh, the whole idea of the, the Chinese concept of feng shui is based upon these, this energetic type principle. All of these different things, right? This is what this was all about. They believed that building these structures would harness these energies. This is what the cathedrals we're all about. If you build these structures in these certain shapes and dimensions and uh, various sizes and harmonics, and this is the important thing, harmonics, how the harmonics of it work, you could capture these natural energies that flow through that area and centralize them to one point for different uses. That's what ancient cultures knew. That's what they did. Well, this has all kind of been lost over time, and there's a reason why, because energy currents on the Earth change, and uh, sometimes when man does not give back to nature the way he's supposed to, the energies become tapped for a time, and then nature reacts, and it reacts usually in a negative fashion, and we have disasters right? And we have various other things that happen as a result of this. Uh, so let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Let's read on. Once again, Mitchell says, quote, the appearance of the sun god signals the introduction of a technology that aims to alter the natural channels of the earth spirit and to stimulate its energies for the benefit of an increasingly large settled population. 
From all that has recently been discovered about the scientific knowledge and methods of the megalith builders, it appears that their system was in the magical tradition of Egypt, Babylon, and the ancient East. At Delphi, by spearing the serpent and localizing its energies, Apollo raised the productivity of the oracle. Every ancient standing stone is like the ampholes in the temple of Apollo, driven into the head of unitelleric serpent current, fixing and augmenting the earth energies which had formerly fluctuated. Gonna pause there, folks. This is what's being represented by spearing the serpent or spearing the dragon in many circumstances. See, these natural energies, these energetic principles that flow around the earth and have been measured in many ways, magnetic fields and such as that, uh, different fluxes in energy at different places. Like, for instance, it's a widely held, uh, you know, known thing that uh, Sedona, Arizona has different... Uh, magnetic fluctuations and energetic fluctuations there's various places on earth here in in different areas that are known for having some type of uh, significance right whether it be spiritual or energetic in some way this is what they're talking about they figured out that uh, by building certain structures in certain ways tuned to certain harmonics uh, that they could channel these energies and this was some of the ancient technologies uh, you know, presented in old culture. But, uh, you know, when that system becomes abused as it has, it usually has very bad ramifications when the abuse has taken place. And things happen, as we'll see here. But these energies fluctuate, as it says here. So sometimes they shift. Sometimes they shift. Let's read on. Yet, in the end, the system became onerous and ineffective, demanding at least as much from the people as it gave in return. Here is revealed the inevitable betrayal by any institutionalized system of technology of the people who have come to depend upon it. The land had become more productive, the people richer and more numerous, until, under the influence of cyclical changes in the heavens, the flow of spirit began to withdraw from the temples and take other paths. Going to pause there, folks. So... <coughs> What happens is over time, when more and more is being produced and more and more is being stripped from the earth, the energies change, the flow of the energies. They go elsewhere, so it becomes less and less productive, and people or man needs to put more and more into it in order to get it to work, right? And this is why in the old days in some of the older mythological cults and different religious philosophies and different mysteries, why they had to do more and more sacrifices of sorts to get the same results. And this is wherein the ideas that uh, these old cultures did all of these horrific things to their people, why they would sacrifice virgins to a volcano, and things like this, why they would do that, because, see, they were in violation of the original contract in the foundation of the city, because they had stripped the earth of its energies, of its sources, of its resources, uh, to the point where um, it was an abusive 
type of a thing here. It was working against the natural principle of things instead of with the natural principle of things where it would flow cyclically. So instead, these energetic flows or the resources themselves would flow elsewhere and no longer be there. So man had to work even harder and more fervently to get the resources from the earth than before in this place. And this is why oftentimes these civilizations and stuff will collapse under their own weight because the system's been abused and this is a violation of the absolute moral natural law that was in place. So when they take more than they give, this is ultimately what happens. So let's read on here. The latter-day priests, having neglected the principles of the old astronomical science by which the temples were first sighted and planned, and no longer sensitive to the earth's spiritual energies, could only resort to more frantic invocations, attending by ever-increasing sacrifice in attempts to repeat the former results, and thus followed as it has on many occasions and at many places over the world, a reaction against the artificial and ever more futile proceedings of the magicians and a return to simpler ways. And I'm going to pause there, folks. I think we're just about at that critical juncture in the cycle of things in society right now, where we're going to have a call for a return to simpler ways, right? That... Uh, this Babylon system that's being built around us, this Antichrist system that's being built around us, this digital prison, it's, it's going to exact such a toll on the natural energies of Earth and of man that uh, there's going to be a large uh, type of rebellion against this type of thing and a call to fall back on simpler ways and times. And the whole thing is going to collapse under its own weight. See, this is a cyclical part of nature. We've been through this before. There's been advanced technological civilizations in the past, and always, always, always what has happened is when they reach a certain state of this technology where it becomes abusive to the natural order of things and works against nature in such a way, it collapses catastrophically under its own weight and mankind resets back to a simpler way of things. And I think we're just about to that point, folks. Can we learn the lessons of history? Can we learn through the old biblical traditions and through uh, many of the old traditions of uh, these various myths and cultures and religions, philosophies? Can we learn something from this? Can we uh, maybe step back a little bit? Can we maybe limit the way we use our technologies? Can we put restrictions on ourselves? Can we honor the original founding contract of civilization here? Where we will only take a limited amount and we will give back. And we will honor the natural world. We will honor the natural order. We will honor the God of this world, the creator. Rather than this artificial being, this Saturnian type of influence that is the architect of modern man? Can we do that? Let's continue reading here. 
It is at this juncture in history that the pre-Christian people of Europe were Christianized. The willingness of these hardy, comparatively far more natural and attuned people than we moderns to render themselves susceptible to Christianity is misunderstood today. The assumption is that Christianity simply deceived and coerced the hardy pre-Christian Europeans into the fold. But early Christians, like St. Patrick, were accepted because they rid the pagan people of what Mitchell terms, quote, the final excesses of a degenerate priesthood whose altars demanded ever more sacrificial blood before they could evoke response from the earth energies, end quote. I'm going to pause for a moment there. Look at our society, folks. Are we not led in many ways by a degenerate priesthood of sorts, this secret priesthood that runs this world, that disguise themselves as governments and corporations, these leaders of society who, uh, you know, will meet together uh, in secret at places like, you know, the Bilderberg meetings or uh, go to, uh, you know, the the World Economic Forum and meet there. We'll have all these summits around the world. Hmm? All these places that where they go and they, they make these decisions for the masses. All these unelected people who claim to represent humanity. And they'll go and they'll do this stuff. Is this not a degenerate priesthood of sorts? It is, isn't it? And we are in this type of a culture where these are the final excesses of a degenerate priesthood. And we see that their altars demand ever more sacrificial blood before they could evoke a response from the earth energies. They're desperate. See, this is why they're all about this depopulation agenda, right? This is why they're all about the induced artificial scarcity agenda. This is why because they're afraid they're not going to be able to extract all the resources from the earth for themselves that they want to be able to. They're not going to be able to live with the excesses that they currently have and maintain their systems of power. They're not going to be able to do this stuff because the earth, nature, is going to strike back. Nature is going to self-correct. Nature always self-corrects. They've abused the system. They've abused the natural order to the point where they know the collapse is coming. But yet, they keep asking for more and more sacrificial blood, both literally and figuratively, right? Look at what's going on with the world economies. Let's keep printing money and throwing it at it more and more and more. Excess, 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 until it collapses on itself, right? This is the order of things, and this is exactly why. There's occult principles at play here. Make no doubt about it. Let's continue reading, and we're just about done, and then we'll wrap it up. <coughs> Mitchell's nostalgia for the old astronomical science of the Saturnian magicians who supposedly did the rituals properly is misplaced. Manipulation is manipulation, whether clever and precise, as in earlier times, or lazy and forgetful, as in the era when it would be overthrown by Celtic Christianity's gospel of simplicity. Mr. Mitchell can't bring himself to unambiguously condemn the original tamperers, the ones who, after all, started the whole journey to Babylon and hell on earth in the first place. These mystical Adams and Eves are referred to by Mitchell as quote, good people, end quote, attempting to recreate heaven on earth on the Saturnian model of a golden age. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. 
all this talk of a golden age, right, in the Saturnian era, well, this is where man stepped away from the Edenic principle, where man stepped away from nature and started to create Babylon. He stepped away from Eden to build Babylon, the representative of hell on earth. So he stepped away from Eden, the heaven on earth, to build hell, Babylon, hell on earth, for himself. See, this is the inversion principle again. Man in his hubris thought he could make a better creation than God. So trying to build an artificial counterfeit heaven or counterfeit earth related to that, he builds himself a hell because he doesn't have the intellect or the wisdom to do such a thing as God has done. This creator who created all things, man cannot now nor ever will be able to manufacture something out of nothing. Can't be done. Everything that is here was put here by the creator. Man can only manipulate that as can the enemy of man's soul, and we will call him Satan in the biblical context, Saturn, Prometheus, Lucifer, whatever you want to call this uh, representation of the enemy of mankind, this architect, this builder, the, the one that manipulates the things that are already here, this, uh, how should we say, archonic force, this demiurgus, as the Greeks called it, this whole idea, this is not truly God, folks. But this force or entity or being, whatever you want to refer to it as, has power in this world and has power to build things from things that are already here within the natural creation, can imitate things that are already built, but does not have creative power as man does. And this is where the distinction is. Man is made in the image of God. We're given imagination and creativity, creative power. We could come up with new things, new ideas, new concepts. This force or being, this demiurge, this Satan, uh, Saturn, all these principles, they can build things, they can manipulate things, they can imitate things, they can build counterfeits of what's here. But you know what? It doesn't measure up to the glory of God. It doesn't honor God. It doesn't glorify God. And therefore, it ultimately ends in failure because it's an inversion of the natural creation. It's a counterfeit. It's not as good. It's never going to be. And despite the hubris of these people that seem to think that uh, they can achieve something more, well, they're not ever going to be greater than God. They can't be. See? And that's the thing. But, uh, you know, by and large... They'll try to rebuild the model of this golden age, which they cannot because the very act of stepping out of Eden, of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, stepping away from that natural state, was the first step towards building Babylon, the first step away. And in so doing, that golden age was left behind and see this golden age of Saturn never truly existed with the leading of Saturn. It existed before Saturn, and Saturn tried to take credit for it. 
in the early phases of things here, this attorney and forces, uh, they tried to, you know, invoke this idea in mankind's mind that this golden age occurred during the rulership of Saturn. And Saturn, this is a big subject. There's a lot of different uh, connotations that can be made from this energetic principle we call Saturn, or this uh, being, this entity, this force, this energy, whatever you want to refer to this as. It's it doesn't matter what you call it. It's something that's there. It's intrinsic to the nature of things. It's intrinsic to uh, where we live, and it's intrinsic to why we have a free will principle, because it needs to be here of necessity so that we can make choices. We can make choices, right? Because to not make choices, well, this would violate the whole idea of love. Love is not possible without the ability to choose. You can't force somebody to love you. And God doesn't want to force anybody to love him. So he gave us free will, so it's our choice. We can love him, we can respect his creation, we can work with his creation, or we can work against it. And uh, many of the people that have come to prominence and power in this world have largely worked against it from time immemorial. And they've kept many of these different philosophies and ideas, energetic principles, things that were known by ancient peoples, they've kept them hidden from the masses for a very long time and used them for coercion, used them for manipulation, used them for their own nefarious agendas through the years. And the abuses that have resulted from this are coming to a head now in the era we're living in. And we're going to see another Tower of Babel moment. It's, it's going to be that simple. Nature always self-corrects. And uh, when they build something that's degenerate and the antithesis of natural order, it's going to collapse catastrophically under its own weight. That's what always happens. We've seen this. It's cyclical. It, you could see this going back through different historical contexts here. And we're coming to that point, folks. So, uh, you know, what can we do about this? We could try to change the way we live. We could try to return to a simpler type mindset with things. We could step away from the gross materialism that is the world, this hyper-materialist viewpoint that we have, this gross Materialism, I, I guess, is the best way to put it. This, this you got to buy, you got to keep up with the Joneses. Consumerism, gross consumerism. There's no need for excesses, right? This, this could be a world of abundance. There, there's enough for everyone to go around. They induce artificial scarcity and uh, artificially inflate money systems and prices and things like that. Make things more scarce on purpose, even though there's no actual scarcity of things, and. Uh, through this manipulation, they get people more bought in to this hyper-materialist system, this consumerist attitude. Well, I'm, I'm going to buy that before it's all gone. I need to hoard food because it's not going to be there. You see how this actually feeds into the system? Hmm? Anyway, let's continue on. We're almost finished. I just want to finish up this last portion here. 
But John Mitchell ought to know that paradise existed once on earth and was destroyed by these good people. Attempts to artificially rebuild it are not only the height of artifice and insanity, but also, as Arthur Macon and H.P. Lovecraft hinted, perhaps indicative of something far more ominous, preparation of the earth for re-inhabitation by demonic entities once expelled. Gonna pause for a moment there, folks. Now... You could go back to Genesis chapter 6 and uh, the book of Enoch and various other extra-biblical sources and make some uh, types of inferences from that uh, compared to this statement. The Nephilim, uh, the Watchers, these, these beings that were expelled, hmm? the fallen angels. Uh, they, see, all these different stories... And you could go back to other mythologies and stuff, too, and see similar things, right? You could compare that here as well. But uh, is this possible? Is that what uh, is looking to be done by going down, say, this uh, digital world-building transhumanist notion of things? Is that what they're attempting to do? Make a new artificial place for these things that don't belong here to manifest here? Perhaps. Let's read on, though. The mythical satanic bringer of civilization to Earth was supposed to be an alien from the star system Sirius, around whom the Egyptians and all subsequent hermetic systems constructed their elaborate and obsessive religio-astronomic observances. This star, Sirius, also served as an astronomic secret code, an allegory of the illusory quality and inherent trickiness of the material world. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Sirius is an image. Okay, it's a symbol of the illusion, right? So Sirius, uh, representing the invisible world in many different uh, systems, represents the illusion so that you know we live in a world that's largely crafted on fantasy, fantasy, fantasy ideas. Sirius is the influence behind that. Let's read on. In astronomic magnitude, Sirius is approximately 35 times brighter than our sun. It is regarded in the highest occult circles as analogous to the, quote, hidden god of the cosmos, end quote. For just as the star Sirius's true magnitude is dwarfed by the sun of our solar system by means of the illusion generated by distance, so too is the influence of Satan in the world obscured behind a welter of churches and lip service to the teachings of Christ. The emblem of the all-seeing eye above the unfinished pyramid is the representation of the eye of Sirius, of its omniscient surveillance. It would be difficult to exaggerate the fanatical degree of attachment the priesthood of Egypt and all subsequent related hermetic traditions had for Sirius. The entire calendar year of the Egyptians was based upon the rising times of this star. The heliacal rising of Sirius was so important to the ancient Egyptians that gigantic temples were constructed with their main isles oriented precisely towards the spot on the horizon where Sirius would appear. The light of Sirius would be channeled along the corridor due to the precise orientation to flood the altar in the inner sanctum as it as if a pinpointed spotlight had been switched on. This blast of light focused from a single star was possible because of the orientation being so incredibly precise and because the temple would be otherwise in total darkness within. 
In a huge, utterly dark temple, the light of one star focused solely on the altar must have made quite an impact on those present. According to the astronomer John A. Eddy, the rock circle, located near Lovell, Wyoming, known as the Bighorn Medicine Wheel, is aligned with the rising of Sirius. The heliacal rising of Sirius was also important to other ancient peoples. Here is a description by the ancient Greek poet Aratus of the rising Sirius, often known as the Dog Star, as it is in the constellation Canis or Dog. The tip of his, the dog's, terrible jaw is marked by a star that keenest of all blazes with a searing flame and him men call Sirius. Throughout Latin literature, there are many references to the dog days which follow the heliacal rising of Sirius in the summer. These hot, parched days were thought by that time to derive some of their ferocity and dryness from the searing of Sirius. Further on in this study, we shall see that a key ritual sacrifice intended to imprint the group mind of the masses of the 1970s, the Son of Sam serial murders, involved the widely disseminated claim that the mad killers had taken orders from a dog named Sam. The capture of one of the killers in the cult, David Berkowitz, coincided with the coming of the dog days of summer, August 1977. In Satanist Albert Pike's Eighth Degree of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, the focus of worship is on the blazing star as symbolized by the pentagram, and Pike identifies Sirius in his morals and dogma as the grand builder of architecture. According to John Mitchell, quote, the alchemists aimed to recapture the spirit of Mercurius as the mobile agent in their operations, and they spoke of fixing it using the imagery of the stake driven through the earth serpent, by which means their predecessors, alchemists of el elemental cosmic forces, had attempted to raise the subtle spirit of the earth. All these good people shared the noblest ambition to invoke again the golden age on earth. No doubt, in time, they did much to promote human convenience and comfort, and civilizations have been humanized by such efforts, but their falls have thereby only been delayed. For the human spirit, like the spirit of the earth, is a natural wanderer and does not forever ex accept domesticity. Attempts to fix nature's volatile principle will always be made, and the spirit may for a time accept the ways imposed upon it by human nature in its material aspect, but sooner or later it will prefer its own ways and will take them whatever obstacles are put in its path. So, remember, think back to these alchemical processes. It's all about staking the serpent or pinning down the natural forces in many ways. But Mercury is a wandering energy field of sorts and, you know, therefore not easily pinned down, right? Uh, so that being the case, this alludes to the fact that these energetic principles, they move. And that according to the position of stars in the sky, the sky clock, uh, things can change. So your timing has to be perfect in an alchemical working, your uh, position needs to be perfect. Everything has to be aligned in certain ways in order to properly pin down the energetic principle here. And many of these older cities and stuff that were formulated upon this principle and founded upon it and upon the contract of uh, the perpetual balance thereof, the giving back, 
many of these things have become abused. The alchemical sciences, the alchemical ways have become abused, right? And in so doing, it's going to uh, bring about ramifications for this abuse because nature always self-corrects. And sometimes if the abuses accumulate and become bad enough, it can self-correct in catastrophic ways. So at any rate, let's read on, and we're just about done here. Just a couple more, uh, just about two or three more paragraphs, and we'll wrap it up for tonight. So we observe that Saturn and his Golden Age architecture, both mental and physical, came only after the end of Eden, after Saturn Sirius had separated the unity of heaven and earth by means of his fateful sickle. What do we have behind the cover story about a worker's paradise in the Soviet Union? We have the sickle, the very occult symbol of the bisection of heaven and earth, the very symbol of the destruction of Eden by demonic, accelerated material and temporal decay and false philosophies which generate division between humanity's sense of itself and identification with God's divine creation under cover of slogans of unity. In other words we have a grotesque mockery of the very principle touted. This macabre arrogance borders on the clownish for those initiates or self-initiates who have the wit to see it. And we're going to end it right there, folks. Because you see, they're laughing at you all the way to the bank, aren't they? We see this because they make it clownish. It says here, this macabre arrogance borders on clownish for those initiates or self-initiates who have the wit to see it. They mock us in their rituals, in their uh, comings and goings, in their, their things they're doing, in their abuses. See, they've abused the natural order. They've abused the earth. They've abused the people for their own nefarious ends. They see themselves as the only ones worthy to wield this type of power. Because, you see, they're the builders. They're the doers. They're the ones that get things done, right? And this goes back once again, as I've discussed in previous shows here. This all falls back on the old principle of uh, the Cain and Abel analogy here. Whereas Cain, who the builders claim lineage of... See, he was the one that got things done. And Abel was just the one that lived by the waters of faith, and Abel's successor, Seth, also. So they see that the people that follow, you know, in these uh, old backwards, uh, you know, religious type ideals, or, or people that are content to live in a natural lifestyle, or just get by on what the bounty is that's given to them by the earth or by God, they call these people those of the waters of faith, and they see them as being backward. Bitter clingers clinging to their religion and guns. You remember when Obama said that? Well, this is very much the same ideology. And this is what's taught by these quote-unquote philosophers of fire, these sons of Cain, the Brotherhood, the Order of the Quest, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, right? All these different things they call themselves. They think they're superior because they would rather work for their salvation. They would rather work towards their uh, building their own edifices and, and creating their own world rather than just living off the fruits that are given them by uh, uh, the Creator. 
or working with the natural order, working with the natural system, they would rather work against it because they think they could do something more or better with it that way. And this is the philosophy they espouse. See, they see you as being uh, a useless eater, right? If you're not contributing to the great work, if you're not one of the builders who's actively creating this new society, this, this new republic, this new world order, then you're a useless eater. You're one of those of the waters of faith. And you're destined, in their view, in their eyes, for destruction because your own complacency will be your undoing. That's how they view you, right? So those of the waters of faith, these would be the, the, the sons of Seth or the sons of Abel, right? Um, actually, it would be the sons of Seth because Seth was the uh, replacement for Abel uh, later on within this system. But it all falls back to this thing where it's the Cain and Abel analogy where Cain took hold of his own fate and he built his own way. And they view anybody who would cling to uh, these waters of faith that would follow this lifestyle of faith, having this belief, having this acceptance of a, a savior uh, to make the way easy for yourself. They see those people as weak, right? That they need help. They need this savior. These people that consider themselves the philosophers of fire, the sons of Cain, they see themselves as being strong, right? They think of themselves as stronger, better. They're the doers. They're the ones that get things done. The builders. That's why they call themselves the builders. See, all of you backwards people that are of the waters of faith, this is from their viewpoint. You've done nothing to contribute to civilization or society, right? You haven't built anything. All you do is just live off the bounty of the land, and they see you as being a plague upon the planet. This is how they view things, folks. This is what they teach in these, you know, in the highest echelons of these secret society groups. These are their viewpoints, right? This is how they see things. They don't think that they need salvation from an external savior. They think they could build their own soul and build their own destiny and build their own godhood. See? This is the hubris that's been brought forward through these different teachings, through the secret societies. And most of it's a perversion of older ideas. And that's the problem here. Something that was good at one time, intended for good, and intended for everyone, this understanding of the natural order of things and how things work, Many of these principles, they've been held in secret by these secret society groups and mystery schools through the ages. They've been kept hidden from the public. And because of the way that they've greedily held on to these secrets in order to manipulate others and, and you know, do things of that nature to promote their own agendas, they've become distorted through the years. Distorted, perverted, inverted into something something evil and dark, really. And the, this was not the original intention of some of this knowledge, some of these teachings, some of these concepts that earlier species, or I shouldn't say species, earlier uh, 
groups of mankind understood, right? But uh, they've been kept hidden from the masses by this elitist group that controls things, these dark occultists that run things in this world. And in order to maintain their grip on power and their ever-increasing grip on power as we move forward here, they've driven man into this kind of moral degradation spiral that we're falling down now. And that leads us further to our destruction. And that's a major problem. And they do this because, well, they want depopulation because they know they've stripped the earth of its vital energies to the point where they're not getting the productivity out of it that they need at this point. And uh, they have to make further and further sacrifices in order to appease their system because, see, they've violated the contract of the founding of the society here in this place and in so doing. They know they're in the wrong, but they think that through this artificially contrived means of depopulation, of uh, all these various things, these different ideas, this green movement that they have going on now, they think that through all of these different notions, they can somehow, some way, they might be able to keep a firmer grasp of their power, and they might not have the karmic ramifications of their actions that they are most assuredly going to receive. Because, see, nature has natural laws that are immutable, and they're trying to change that up by building this wholly unnatural artificial thing for themselves that they think they could be the gods thereof, And they think they could skirt these karmic principles just simply by changing some of the variables around, by maybe trying to correct some of the things they've done. But they go about this in the wrong way because, as you see, and as we've discussed, it's a culture of death. It's built upon the inverse of what the Creator made. So they use these death ideas to try to uh, alleviate this toll that they've taken on the natural order. And what does this look like? Well, this looks like abortion and war and pestilence, artificially induced pestilence. All of these things. And it's all a further symptom of what's going on, of the bigger picture here. This is the counterfeit, folks. There's a divine creation, and we need to get back to a simpler way with that. We need to get back to atonement with that, with that natural way of things. We need to make it smaller, right? Less technological. We need to put limitations, caps on what we do with technologies. We need to say, hey, here's where we draw the line and we can't cross this line or there's going to be bad things happening. And too many people have abused many of these technologies and have abused the natural order in the earth with these technologies and have crossed the line. And we're going to see ramifications for that. And we are seeing ramifications for that. But the dark occultists that run things are trying to correct that through all the wrong means, uh, through primarily depopulation agendas in order to try to fix this. See, rather than uh, cutting back on the trying to uh, pull more resources from the earth, what they would rather do is depopulate 
so that they have more resources for themselves and they don't need them necessarily for the more people. So they'll take them from somebody else. Do you see how this whole socialist idea comes into? Taking from somebody else to put them back in their own coffers, right? This is what happens with socialism, isn't it? Take from somebody who built it or earned it and give it to somebody else. Well, who controls who gets that? Well, it's the the, the system, right? The power structure. So ultimately, it belongs to them now, doesn't it? Because they could determine who they're going to allocate this to through their, you know, their generosity, right? <laughs> and they're, they're just, you know, overall goodness, right? The goodness of their heart, though. They'll, they'll give it to this one that needs it. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not how this works. We all see how this all works. But this is exactly what's been going on. This is their solution. And it's the wrong approach. And I think that inherently they know that. And it's all going to be coming to a head. They can't skirt natural law as much as they might like to. But they're trying to prolong their hold on power here by doing these various things. That's why they push so hard with all these agendas, all these death-based agendas. That's what's going on in the world today. So it's a counterfeit system. It's a fantasy system that's been built here. All of our society is based on this, right? They give us fantasy after fantasy, counterfeit after counterfeit. They build all these fake things that are an affront to the natural order, an affront to the creator, and, uh, you know, we just follow along, don't we? Because we're comfortable, right? We're comfortable. We've got enough to eat. We're mildly entertained. And, you know, we're, we're busy. We're busy just trying to earn enough money to pay the bills and keep the lights on and food on the table and uh, keep Netflix flowing, right? That's, that's what goes on in modern society. And we're distracted from the real important things. And we're kind of shied away from the important things. People don't like to think philosophically anymore. They don't like to think spiritually. They don't like to think of, you know, many of these ideas, what's truly important. They don't want to have to take responsibility for themselves or their actions. They'd rather be comfortable and complacent. And that's where we are as a society. And we've been programmed this way through the various mind control technologies and through these uh, techniques that have been used by these dark occultists that run things from time immemorial. And we see how society is marching towards its own destruction. But we could turn this around, folks. All we have to do is make people aware of what's going on. And people are waking up in droves to the things going on. They see the corruption. They understand what it is now. They may not understand fully the depth of the corruption or the occult principles behind it or where it leads, but that's why there's voices out there like myself and others talking about these things, and it's important that we do this. It's important that uh, we have our voices heard, that we discuss these things, that we put this information out there, because maybe, just maybe, somebody will wake up one day and decide, you know what? I need to do something about this. That's what happened to me, folks. I woke up one day. I saw the state of the world. I had been looking at this stuff for a long time. And I thought, somebody needs to do something. Well, who's going to do something? Who speaks for planet Earth, right? We've heard that uh, trope in science fiction before. Who speaks 
for the people, who's going to stand up for the children? Well, if I don't do it, who's going to? Look in the mirror, folks. Complacency. That's a lot of what's, you know, grabbed hold in our lives. If you want to see change in the world, you need to be the change you want to see in the world. That's where we're at. You can't wait for somebody else to come along and do it. Nobody else is coming, folks. It's you and me. And we got to speak up. We got to make people aware of the corruption of what's going on, of what the true nature of things really are. We need to speak up. Need to stand up for our children so they have a future. That's where we're at. And, you know, this is the state of society. We've just pointed out where we are, how we got here, and where we're headed. Unless we stand up en masse and say, no, we're done with your, we're done with your crap. We're done with your artificial system. We're done with all of this. We're done with all of this gross consumerism, all this materialist nonsense, and all this crap that you feed us on the television, everything else. We're, we're done with it. We're done with all of this uh, artificial scarcity. We're done with this this trash that you fill our brains with day in and day out. We're done with it. We want something better. We're going to stand up on moral principles and we're going to take this world back. And we're going to do it in a peaceful way because, you know what, it doesn't happen through violence, folks. Now, sometimes violent things happen and there are violent revolutions and things but that's not going to change the world. Love is not violent. It is not a violent overthrower. That always leads to even more fascism and destruction. The violent overthrow of something. Violent revolution. Sometimes it's a fine line that we need to walk on. But at the end of the day, we need to stand up and just say no. It's as simple as that, right? It's as simple as that. Enough people just need to stand up, say, no, we're done with this. Uh, you know what, we're, we're just going to go back to simpler ways of things. We're going to go back to just doing basic stuff that we used to be able to do without the government's permission. Simple things like maybe collecting rainwater on your own land without having to have a special permit or get a fine or something like that. If I want to build a garage, I could build a garage without having to go down to the county courthouse and get a permit to do so and pay money. Like, that's absurd. Some of the things that we've accepted in the modern era, it's absolute absurdity. If we want to grow our own food, we grow our own food. If you want to build, put up a lemonade stand and sell lemonade, you sell lemonade without government permission and stuff like that. See, these kind of things, we need to start drawing the line and saying, no, that's retarded. We're not doing that. And it starts with each and every one of us. Something as simple as, you know, they tell you, put on your mask. Don't go out in public without your mask. Tell them, no, that's retarded. I'm not doing that. And don't do it. And if enough people do that, their system collapses. What are they going to do? Right? Don't we see that now? It's been almost three years, and now people are finally saying, no, I'm not getting your stupid vaccine. It doesn't work. It's retarded. No, I'm not doing it. That's the direction we need to go with this stuff, folks. We need to start saying no to them more. Because what they're telling us to do is retarded and self-destructive. They know it, we know it, and they know that we know it. But still, they push harder because that's all part of the mind control. But you can break it by saying no and standing your ground. No, I'm not doing that. 
have a good day. That's all it takes. That's what's going to change the world. Tell them, no, I'm not doing that. That's retarded. That's self-destructive. And leave it at that. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Their whole house of cards collapses then. And we could get back to a better way. So, anyway, folks, that's all I got for tonight, though. Have a good night. Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm, coming soon.